0: The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near West of Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net
1: Alright, well if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to John chapter 2. and We're going to be looking at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, that Doug alluded to and gave away stuff to. Kidding. Just kidding. We're looking at 1 through 12. Now, I think I've made comment about this before, but kind of if you put it in big pieces, John is kind of divided into two big pieces, uh, first 12 chapters deal with his, the introduction of Jesus and His testimony, heavenly testimony, earthly testimony, and then Jesus' earthly ministry. And then chapters 13 through the end of the book deal with um, Jesus' ministry to His disciples and Him telling the disciples a lot of stuff, teaching His disciples a lot of stuff about His coming death and resurrection, and we see all that in the last half. Now, in the first 12 chapters, some people call uh, chapters 2 through 12 kind of the book of signs, and I've made comment is because in them there are 7 signs in those 12 chapters that deal, that John deals with to say these, these signs are significant signs that point to Jesus as Messiah, the Son of God. But It's important to realize for us, especially as we're going through these first 12 chapters, John doesn't call them miracles. Are they miracles? Yes, they're miracles, but John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs, and here's why that is significant when we are studying through this book. The word sign comes from this Greek word, which means to signify, To indicate or make known. To give evidence. To point out or point to. And so as John is writing that these miracles are signs, it's because there was something more to them than just the miracle that took place. So each one of these seven, they were a miracle and they took place and John said that they were signs, but they weren't just signs about what took place, but they were pointing to something more. They're pointing to something more that was written or that that we needed to understand about Jesus. And again, in uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, John is saying, here's why I wrote the book. And he says, now did, uh, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these are written. So he's saying, we need to kind of catch what he's saying. Basically, he's saying, I've chosen these signs. I've chosen these signs specifically, and I've chosen in them so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And so maybe we could say it this way. Each of these signs actually are not just the miracle in themselves, but they're symbols about something more, maybe that's a way to grab a hold of it. So Jesus is saying that the, or John is saying these signs. Point as something more. He's wanting his readers to see that there is the miracle and what the sign meant, but also what that sign pointed to—that was something more to see or to know or to understand about Jesus. So significant events chosen to reveal Jesus more fully. And pointing forward, pointing to something more, pointing to something fuller about Jesus. Because I can tell you right now, when Jesus fed the 5,000, people weren't understanding that he was bread come down from heaven, that he was the bread of life. Uh, When he raised Lazarus, they probably didn't understand the concept that of Jesus' future resurrection, that he was resurrection in the life. That when he brought healing. So each of these signs are significant signs. And John says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm writing about these seven signs, and I'm writing about them specifically. And we'll see as we go through, even the, this first one, uh, with uh, uh, changing the water to wine, the next significant event that took place was he cleansed the temple. Well, in the other three Gospels, we see the cleansing of the temple later. So John, even in, as we look through these seven signs, we're going to see what follows them because basically there's a sign and there's a significance of the sign. And, Jesus, and John, when he's writing, he's writing the th- things that took place to point back to what we should know and what we should see in each of these signs. So I think that that is important. And let me just say this uh, on, the, on the front side. Uh, Man, I told uh, Doug this morning, I said, my head is so full, I don't even know how to... I've been trying to coordinate, okay, Lord, how do we kind of walk through this? But it's important for us to understand that John wrote 40 to 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And so that was 20 years after the last gospel accounting. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke were already written. So this is like later. And so John, I've said it before, John is standing here, he's looking back, and it's almost like, okay, well, this has been written about, that's been written about, that's been written about, that's been written about. And again, it's not John and his own wisdom, but the Holy Spirit prompting him, moving on him to go to see something. How many times when we're In scripture, and we're reading that the Holy Spirit reveals something to us that we didn't know. He nudges us in some way to understand or to do some particular thing, no different with John. But here, John is like 20 years past all that that was written in the Gospels. And somehow, you know, I mean, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he's helping him see something. John's going, huh, okay, this is what. I need to write about. And this is what I think is so important for us to see. So there are differences. What do they call the first three Gospels? What are they called? Synoptic Synoptic Gospels. They're similar. John's is not similar like those. There's just things that John doesn't put in uh, that that he doesn't even look at. And so we have this perspective, and John is saying... I'm writing these things so you can have this perspective about who Jesus is, that you can see him in a fuller way, in a greater way. And again, was John aware while all this was taking place? No, I don't think so. But down here, he saw more. Does that make sense? I mean, just like right now, if I said ask Doug, I said, so 20 years ago, what did you know about parenting? Now, 20 years later, what do you know about parenting? Because you not only parented kids, but you've been raising and watching grandkids grow. So you would know more. There would just be other things that you see than you saw back then. And basically, I mean, does that make sense to everyone here? In a very natural way, John saw stuff because of the length of time in which he lived and, and looking back. So I think that that's something to be accounted for. And so in these seven signs, I think we need to take some time to walk through these seven seven signs to see what more John was wanting his readers to understand or to see about Jesus. And so each one of us, I think that when we ponder through Scripture and we're looking through Scripture, I think that how many times have we read certain verses and we saw certain things and it could be a month later, it could be 10 years later, you all of a sudden you look at it and you go, oh, I've never seen that before. That's important. So these layers that seem to be in our growing experience. So let's read uh, the accounting of in John chapter 2 says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, well, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding to 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the mother of the feast or when the master of the feast, and his disciples believed in him. And then after this, they went down to Capernaum where his mother, with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. So, seven signs. This is the first of the seven signs that Jesus performed. Now, I can tell you right now, uh, all the years of my being a believer, through Bible college, through pastor, and all these years, I've never really taken a deep dive at this. Matter of fact, I've been thrown out to a lot of people, tell me what you think about what is the significance of this. And so I've been taking a deeper dive, and you know, it's, it's like, I think that uh, in, in some ways there's so much to it. Now, I'm, we're not going to dive and get way broad, but I think that we need to see the basic pieces of it, but I think there's even, there's maybe can be a lot more. And I know that when you get into looking at symbolism and stuff, you can walk down a long road into weeds till you're lost, and we don't really want to do that this morning. But there are some things past this that are possibly significant as we move into it. Now, we also know that Jesus didn't do anything haphazardly. Matter of fact, and I think it's John chapter five, verse 19 uh, and John 12, John chapter 5, he says, you know, I, I can't do anything but what the Father does. I can't, the Father tells me to do it, and I do whatever the Father says. Matter of fact, I don't even say what I want to say, but I say what the Father is telling me to say. So this first miracle that John is writing about, that Jesus performs, is not just because it's something he wants to do. So, you know, uh, let me, let me just, maybe, maybe I'll do it this way. Uh, there's just so much here. Maybe all of us can learn better together. Uh, let's see. All right. Let's do this. Let's look at, uh, first, let's look at, if so if John said, there's the miracle itself, here's the fact of what happened. But then he says, but there's way more than what you see in it, because it's pointing to something more. It's, it's giving evidence to something else or something more. So let's, let's look at it. So what are the facts of this miracle? Okay, well, let, let's, I'm going to start here, and you just shout out if you've got some stuff, And I do have this mic here, so when it comes time for anybody to know, you can be my runner too. Uh, So we know that it, when did it happen? On the third day. So that's, so we're just looking at facts. It happened on the third day, and it happened in Cana. Um, Now, some of these. Might not be significant, but they might. And again, we're not going to try to base a whole theological principle or truth on some of these things. Okay, so it was, and it was at a wedding. So we have to, okay, and then uh, the event was, the miracle was water to wine. What else? Facts. Are these just the basic three that we need to grab a hold of? So there were. It was on the third day. It was at Cana of Galilee. Jesus turned water to wine. Is that it? No more? Okay. Okay. Okay, Mary was involved. Anything else? I don't, uh, just so you know, I don't think that there's really lots of rights and wrong answers here. Just trying to, uh, Anne. Okay. And it's the first sign. That really goes right up there. Okay, so. Facts. Now, let's look at uh, let's look at the fact of this. Let's look at the fact of water to wine. What can we what can we surmise by the fact of water to wine? Ooh, I like that. Ordinary to extraordinary. Somebody else. Okay. Somebody else. What did changing water wine, what what could it prove, possibly? Power over the elements. Okay, authority, power. And over time, wine takes a long time. Okay, somebody else? Did it prove his deity? deity? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, Because what did John tell us why he was writing the signs? So that they would know what? That they would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing that, they might have life through its name. Okay? Somebody else? Okay, let me put that.
0: Going back to what you said about deity, um, some of the things that Jesus did as far as healing people, you could argue that other people have done those same things too, but I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody else turning water to wine. Kay. Just just him.
1: Okay. Anything else in this turning water, f- just the facts of turning water to wine? It says it manifested
2: his
1: glory. Okay. Uh, in it. They saw His glory. His disciples saw His glory. Those who saw the miracles saw His glory. Any other thoughts about that? Okay, anything concerning just the facts concerning a wedding? It was happened at a wedding? How about what happens at a wedding? There is the consummation of a covenant. Right? The bride and the groom. Okay, so that is there, and we're going to see there's symbolism and all that kind of stuff. Any other thoughts about any of these, about just these facts? All right, let's do this. If John said... There's more. So, again, I'm not going to try to run down a road that comes to a dead end and we really don't get anything from it. So, But let's kind of talk through, is there anything significant about that it taking place on the third day? Thoughts about that? Okay, he was... Resurrection. I think it's one S, isn't it? And two R's. Something else? Anything else about threes or the third day that you might have? I do know that in Scripture... The third day had the idea of new life. It had the idea of consummation of covenants. Exodus chapter 19, when uh, Israel was before the Lord, he said, gather the people together, have them sanctify themselves, and I will come and I will meet them on the third day. So third day a lot is God's intervention in humanity, in human life. We see that in Hosea, we see it in Isaiah. Uh, there's a lots of places where we see that things took place on the third day. I'm not, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna, uh, uh, how do I want to say this? I'm not gonna hang a hook on that. That there's a lot there, but possibly looking forward to that. Anybody got any thoughts about where it took place in Cana and Galilee? What do we know about Cana and Galilee? Is there anything that we can run down the road with there for symbolism? Nobody? Here's what I learned this morning. Galilee in Hebrew means a circle. Whether that's real significant or not, but I can tell you what, God started with humanity here and He's done all these things and He's come back to this place here. Maybe... Who knows? Again, it's not something I'm gonna hang as a hanger to put all kinds of theological significances, but possibly. Okay, well, what about this? Because this is really the biggest piece of it. So we kind of do that. So let's talk about a wedding. So, what's the significance in here that Jesus is at a wedding when this all took place? Thoughts, Doug? He's the ultimate bridegroom or the bride? Ultimate bridegroom or the bride? Okay. Somebody else? Anything that you can? This is just a symbolism? Is there? Is there something that John is saying in this? So there's the miracle in itself, but all this that just like surrounds it. And we're going to get water to wine, but just I just want to make sure that maybe there might be something that you've learned, that you know that God's helped you see, that maybe we can learn from and we can see. I got a message, by the way. It's all there. But it's like, okay, maybe this is a better way to go about this so that we can all hear from each other. Something else about a wedding?
3: Um, I mean, I don't know if I'm going beyond what you want to talk about. Oh, no, there's no uh, rights and wrongs. That, you know, I, I remember when the first, you know, reading it many years ago and Jesus saying, it's not my time, you know, it's like such a weird response, but um, it wasn't his time. He wasn't in charge of this wedding. He was a guest, and his there's an act of compassion that he, you know, he did for the people there, but for him to answer and say, it's not my time, you know, this, like, this party is not my responsibility, not this party, hmm. you know, but there's going to be a time, I think, inferring that there'll be a time where I'll be in charge of the party, but it's not this time, but he still acted in compassion, and so I always wondered, what does that mean, it's not my time, and then, you know, as I grew in the word, I realized there's, there's a wedding feast that he'll preside over, hmm. that he'll be... You know, he'll be the guy in charge. So mm-hmm.
1: somebody else? Serving the good wine
4: last
1: Okay. Serving the good wine last. Yeah. All right. We're gonna jump into that. We're gonna get in that. Here okay, here's something that come to my mind. So as you know, in a Galilean wedding, I talked about this some months back and told you about this before the wrath. Watch that. That's so good in so many ways. But this was, at this wedding, this wedding was where the consummation of a contract, it was at the the consummation of a contract. So you can just kind of see the idea of this earthly contract, this wedding between a bride and the groom. But there's also going to be, right, there's this heavenly contract that is going to take place, and there's going to be the consummation of that contract at the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? This feast in heaven between the bride and the groom. So I think that there's definitely, for me, definitely I think there's some, John is, did John see it when he was there? Yeah, I I don't think so. But standing back here and looking back, did he see it? Well, that's, I don't know, but somewhere along the line, the Lord began to say things to him, and then for him to Say, I'm, here's seven signs I'm, I'm going to write about that I'm putting down here, and I'm writing them very specifically because there's the miracle in itself, but there's something more to see in the miracle. And so thinking about this, I think maybe Doug said it when he was up there, but the very first thing that Jesus did is he began to... He, Initiated, or maybe he told a full picture right at the front. This is what I'm going to do. So let's get into this. So, changing the water to wine. Okay, let's talk about that water to wine. Let's talk about the symbolism, or what may John uh, be saying, or pointing to, or wanting us to see with this changing water from wine.
5: We look at miracles a lot of times and the miracle is for the benefit of the recipient um, where the sign, which is a miracle, is for the benefit of the recipient but also for the picture and understanding of the miracle maker in this case, which is Jesus. And like we said, it, it is... I mean, there's so much here, right? The water, the jars that the water was in for, was for ceremonial clean, cleansing, right? Which is okay. the law. And then Jesus comes around and says, okay, this water is becoming wine, which is for spiritual cleansing and life everlasting, right? Which is on the inside. Um, so when Jesus says, I didn't come to get rid of the law, but I came to fulfill it. I, I, again, this water to wine is a complete promise of everything that is to come. I mean, just within this one miracle, um, Holly said something about time and on the third day and we and we talk about all the time things. I think it's, we need to remember that um, the time for us is, is calendar oriented and time for, for God is content oriented. Right, so that circle that you talked about, you just, from the beginning through, you know, the flood, through this, through that, it's like, okay, here's a restart and this is more about what I'm doing for you than when I'm doing it for you. Okay. History is important for us so that we can look back and forth and understand God. But for God, it's all, you know...
1: Sees it all at the same time. Sees
5: it all at the same time.
1: Somebody else? Uh, Alexandra?
2: I, I was just thinking that the water means cleaning. And then the wine, um, it's, we remember that, that cleaning that took place when Jesus died for us.
1: Okay, wine, uh, the idea of cleansing as well. Somebody else, Tony? Shirking your duty. I like that, your delegator. Go ahead, big man, take it back there. <laughs> That's leadership right there. (laughs) Go ahead, Tony.
4: Well, uh, I've always said and continue to say that the entire Bible is about life transformation. We see that from the very beginning, how God wrote the Bible for lives to be changed, and the word transformation here is the key, the water being changed to wine. But it's, it's not just that. It's the hope that that brings to people. I mean, how many people at the wedding were really thinking that the water will be changed in, into wine. How many? How many could ev- could even hope that that will happen? Mm-hmm. Now here comes Jesus. He does. It, it symbolizes something that we will have and continue to have, and will always have. Is a hope in Him. Okay. So life transformation to me is key here.
1: Okay. Someone else. Changing water to wine. What? What's the symbolism? What is it pointing to that you see more than what's been said? So
0: looking at the transformation, there's a bunch of different things, but um, the act of him transforming the the water into wine starts with him being obedient to his mother. And I think there's significance in that. We're talking about transformation and the transformation from something... You said that cleanses, but in that time, a lot of times, they, they, they didn't drink water. They drank wine because um, it was more of a purification thing where water had bacteria and things in it that they didn't really get rid of, but wine was something that could help with that. So it's almost like he's taking something and he's transforming it into something that's more pure, Um, And that's significant because the water in those jars, those jars were made for purification. So the water inside those jars was purification water. Um, But all of it starts with obedience. And now I think about my life and the way God's slowly transforming me day by day through his word. And it really starts for me with obedience.
1: That's not always the easiest thing. Okay. Somebody else? Ann? Just so you know, there's if you got some thoughts running around your head, it's not that you're off or it's dumb. It's yeah. just need to get it out.
2: Uh the thing to remember is that this water in the jars was a custom. It wasn't part of the law, this purification. It was a custom
1: oh, that's really that good. they did.
2: And um the idea of what Jesus did is he permanently took care of an issue of cleaning you. <laughs> this, this was something that they had to do over and over and over again, but it was a custom. It was not something that was required by the law to do. Jesus does fulfill all of the law, but um, the, he takes this idea that, and we're notified that it is just a custom of purification.
1: Okay. Anybody else? Uh, when Sid?
4: They, when they do, uh, he ordered fill the jar. He with, ordered him
1: to fill the jar. He
4: ordered to fill it fully. Fully. So there's no
2: stopping no, just halfway.
1: Okay, or not halfway. Full. Full. Full.
2: Full.
1: Okay. we get to that uh, in a minute, a little bit more specifically. But, so, uh, you've stated, so what would happen is the symbolism or this, this thing that they would do was to go, they would wash their hands, they would wash their feet, symbolizing purity, purification. That was the water. Specifically, those stone jars was used for that. And as you've mentioned and as we understand that, what did Jesus do? What, okay, well, let's do this. What was the symbolism of wine? Is there something that we need to see in this? Why didn't he turn it into milk? he said, drink in of me when we use the
2: blood the Okay,
1: pointed toward, how would I put that? Pointed toward the sacrifice that Jesus would offer. It would be his life for what? The forgiveness of sins, for what? For cleansing, for what? For purification. So in this first miracle, Jesus coming on the scene, doing this significant, doing this first right off the bat, basically, is I am, I have come, just like when you look into Exodus 19, I've come to ratify this covenant. I've come to make, oh no, I've come to create a new covenant. It used to be about you would see things on the outward. It's not about outward cleansing. But it's about purification of the heart. Transformation of the heart. So this first miracle, Jesus really is, I think Doug said it, He's just establishing the reason why He came was to pay the redemption of humanity. So thinking about that, so what do we know? So what was the circumstance? There was no... Wine, it had run out. Is there anything that we can kind of gather from that? So the circumstance was that all of a sudden this this had come to an end. Uh, Doug,
5: you know that this wedding feast historically it would be like a week long. It was the, the requirement of, you know, the bridegroom and his family that they would have sufficient everything for the week, right? So not only would it be a social disgrace, fupa. Fupa, right? it would be there's an expectation that there's, you don't run out of wine, in particular wine. And I think the banquet master of the banquet is saying, you know, you shouldn't because all you have to do is serve the good stuff first and then you have a bunch of less quality wine for the next, you know, six days, seven days, whatever it is, four days that are left, right? Um, and I don't, I don't think there's anything, you know, it's not like you, you could just go out and get wine, right? You can't run to 7-Eleven or wherever, you know, Costco and go buy the one. Hey, we're running out of wine. Go get some. It it just doesn't work that way.
1: It's interesting. You said uh, typically weddings, and I'm I'm not reading a lot into this, although my mind can go that way. So this happened on the third day or in the middle of the week Mm -hmm. where the consummation of this wedding covenant takes place with the bride and the bridegroom. You know, you could, prophetically, you could think some things that way. Okay, so it had run out. So here's where my mind goes. Um, Possibly signifying the end of one thing to another, the end of the law. Especially if we understand that Jesus, when he came, was to establish a new covenant. The new covenant, not in an old way any longer. That had come to an end. Now there was a, a new way that Jesus was going to establish. And this new way that he was going to establish, we, uh, one of the things that we need to really grab a hold of is the gravity of that uh, for us. I mean, I, I just get to thinking so often when, she was, when Sid was talking about uh, what was her, like 120 to 180 gallons of wine filled them to the brim. And I I think so often about uh, man's inadequacy and God's sufficiency. So even in this, seeing this, that it wasn't just to show the need of humanity because our need is forgiveness of sin. The thing that separates us. And, and, And here's man's inadequacy to be able to do that for himself. And yet we see Christ's sufficiency for that. I mean, this that's big stuff. And for us to understand that even now for us, I mean, every one of us can think of inadequacies, but what, what we should be looking at and what is so often in the scriptures is his sufficiency, his enoughness for us in life. Uh, Darcy?
2: Along those lines, I think about um, him calling us to be active participants. Um, so he calls us to be parents. He calls us to um, different ministries at, at different times. And he called these servants to come and fill. They were doing the action. He didn't actually ever touch the stone jars. He they did it. And when he fed the five thousand, the disciples carried the baskets. You know and you don't see Jesus actively multiplying or t- transforming. He just calls the people to do it, and the miracle comes through Him. Mm,
1: that's really good. So. That's really good. I like that. Any other thoughts, random or otherwise, that's been popping in your head,
2: that's stirring up in your heart?
1: Oh, go ahead, Anne. That you
2: were saying about the wedding... Um, and the wedding that's going to take um, place in the future, this this miracle manifested His glory, but the real glory is going to be seen when we are with Him at the wedding feast in the Mm. future. And that idea that manifesting is really, really important because it's been God's plan from the very beginning Mm. to manifest His glory through humans, he, he had a plan with that with the angels but the angels fell short of that and he wanted to show that a weaker creature he could show his glory through a weaker creature that would be obedient to him compared to a stronger angel who was disobedient to him mm-hmm. and he's going to he's going to show everybody i mean that's going to really manifest his glory his mercy his love all the things that he really is his goodness his forgiveness It's going to all be seen by everybody.
1: That's good. You got
2: something you want to say?
1: You just look like you do. (laughs) Nope? Okay. All right. Don't want to put... uh, Fred? Look at that. All the way back there. Go, go, go.
0: (laughs) Well, kind of what occurred to me, and um, uh, Darcy touched on it too, is he didn't do it himself, but he also chose the lowliest of the people. His disciples were fishermen tax collectors, which probably a higher class, but people didn't like them. These servants. But then here they picked the servants. I would say, I don't mm. know a lot about Hebrew tradition, but I imagine they were probably the lowest, humblest class of people there. He didn't go to the master and say, mm. hey, check out what it did. He gave it to these guys. And in the scripture, the master doesn't even know. We're never even told if they even explain to the master what happened, but he used these lowly people to, to do his work for him.
1: And that's really good. So Fun fact, uh, you know, they, it, it specifically says this was a Galilean wedding. And they were very specific. So just in big pieces, what would happen is the groom would approach the bride and offer the bride to become his wife, right? the bride had to receive the glass, partake of the glass, that said yes. Then what happened is the bridegroom with his party would go away, and then at an appointed time of the father, they would come into the village, which was a community affair for the most part, and then they would all go to she, and he would grab the bride and her party. Then all of them would then go to where? To his house. So think about this. So he goes to the, the bride. She says yes. He goes away. Then he comes back with him. You know, he comes back with his group. Uh, he grabs their group and then goes to his house. Where there is this culmination of this wedding covenant and this celebration. I mean, so you know, there's just so much in here that's, that can be so rich, you know, when we just kind of ponder about it. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Uh, Sid? I did not your story. I remember when
4: you Okay. Waited and waited and waited, and they accepted the fact that they hear, they heard when uh, the blow when it's it's time. So that's why they, they don't know when it's gonna come, the wedding when it's gonna happen. So when those things happen, they actually come. So for those in the movie that we watch, the door closed and no one can come in into that wedding. So this
1: is. That's good. So they waited and they waited and they waited. That's good. Somebody else? What else do we know about this? Okay, so uh, you know, I could randomly throw out some things. You know, wine, of course, representing new life. Uh, Wine uh, representing covenant. Uh, Wine representing Jesus' blood. So we, we understand those things. Uh, how significant it is that they ran out of wine, and you know, what do we really draw from that? Is it, is it really helping us see that there was a close of one thing and another? But best, de- definitely, Jesus came to establish a new covenant. The law in itself was weak. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus did what the law could not do. Okay, so let's jump down now for a few minutes into verses 9 and 10, and, and kind of look at that a little bit. Because it says that uh, so there wasn't any wine. Uh, Jesus does what he does. The water comes, changed to wine. He tells the servants, go give it to the master of the ceremonies, the one that's ahead of the, of the wedding, and offer it to him. And he says, he drinks it. He doesn't have any idea there was a miracle involved. He drinks it, and he says, wow. You have saved the best to last. Usually they serve the good wine first and then later the poor wine, but you've show you've served, you've waited to serve the best to last. Any thoughts about that? New covenant? Old covenant, possibly. Any other anybody else have any thoughts about that? Now the best will be last.
5: The best will be last is, the, you know, the kingdom of God. It's
1: coming. Okay. Got any thoughts, Tom, about any of it? <laughs> Didn't know if the gears were running there. Well, I'm that sure they are, but he's already on his way to Paris. He's, our, oh, he's already on his way to Paris. <laughs>
4: Yeah, he is going to a wedding. Yeah, I am indeed. I don't know how much wine there will be there. Uh, it's not in King of Galilee. I, I I think fulfillment is the big thing that comes through all of this. You know, uh, to me the so much and all of the symbology from the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ, and in all of the things that you guys have been saying, all of that is. Yeah, the form was there, and it's been fulfilled. It's being fulfilled. It's been fulfilled.
1: Uh, it's really good when I think about this, when I think about the circle. You know, whether that's... But all these little, all these little things that uh, over the past couple months of, uh, as I've been studying through this, there's just been all kinds of things that have kind of nudged me in different ways. I, even, the, even when the master of ceremonies uh, realizes... Uh, he said, wow, he saved the best for last. Now think about this. Basically, he's saying the, gri- the bridegroom provided this. So think Jesus. He has provided this. For who? For those that were at the, f- at the wedding feast. He has provided this for us. Aaron?
0: I just think it's kind of interesting that the um, master of ceremonies is giving credit to the bridegroom who wasn't the one that did the miracle.
1: Say that again. I'm sorry.
0: I think it's significant, or maybe not, I don't know, that the master of ceremonies is giving credit to the bridegroom, but he's not the one that did the miracle. Jesus is the one that did the miracle.
1: Okay.
0: So I, I think it's cool that like we kind of get credit for what Jesus does even though we weren't the one that did the miracle. We're just the beneficiaries of it.
1: Anybody else? Okay, so let's just wrap it up with this. So what can we learn? What can we learn about the miracle itself? Well, it was it was a miracle. And the miracle in itself would have given... Well, it says that the, He manifested His glory and His disciples believed. So basically what John said, I'm writing these things so you believe. And basically this miracle took place. They understood it to mean more than it did in the respect that they believed G- who Jesus was. They believed that. It manifested His glory. So there's, there's, the, there's the fact of that. But what can we, what can we learn... Uh, possibly from this first miracle. My mind goes to, it's not about ceremony. I, for me, more than anything, uh, two things have, three things have been brought out to me. It's not about ceremony. It's not about me trying to turn over a leaf, do good or do better. It's about me trusting in what Christ has done to bring trans- the power of transformation to my life. And, and He really has. I mean, all of it. You wouldn't be sitting here today if that, that hadn't occurred. And so it's the power of transformation, it was the power to uh, breaking the power of sin in your life through the blood that He spilt. So. So that's the second piece. It it only happens through Christ. And the last thing that really grabs a hold of my life is the sufficiency of God. It wasn't that he filled a pot or two, but six. And there could be some stuff said, the stone jar. Why did he put water? I mean, did he need to put water in the jar? I mean, come on. He created the heaven and earth in six days, rest on the seventh. Did he really need to put water in the jar? Okay, so here's, here's what I want us to consider, just, just a little bit. Sometimes we read to read. And I think we need to just really work hard at not doing that. Sometimes I think what we need to do is we just need to have this Pause. I do this a lot. Before I read, I might be on my phone, and my reading plan might be on my phone, but if I'm at home and I'm around a Bible, I do this a lot. I'll start reading. I'll be reading to read, because it's my duty. I need to read. And I'll just stop. And I'll just do this. I'll put my Bible to my chest. I'll pause and I'll say, Father, this morning... What I need from you more than anything is your presence. I need, you to sh- I need you to speak to me. My life needs to shift. I need to be more yielded and open. And I'm praying this morning that as I'm spending time here, you would help me with that. Because that is the most important thing in my life. And I think all of us can realize what is or who is the most important thing in our life. And I think in the songs that we sung, it's Jesus. Amen? Uh, Tony, I don't know where the mic went.
4: Thanks. I just want to, if I can, emphasize something important to me, because sometimes we get you know, it, it is great to think about our online transformation because we know when we what our weaknesses are and so forth, and we tr- strive toward being better. At the same token, the main point is: it's not just our life transformation; it's the life of transformation of the people around us. Because once our lives are being transformed, people are going to see Christ in us way more, and that's interesting because here He sh- turns the water into wine. And what does it say, Ian? The disciples believe. Our transformation has a lot to do with other people seeing, you know, us planting the seed for others to believe.